I love God. I love His Spirit. If you uh, aren't akin to how the Lord works, you would say that uh, everybody's been reading my mail this morning, or, or worse, we switched notes before church. But we're, uh, we're going to follow the Spirit's unction this morning, continuing looking at the songs of Christmas, looking at Simeon's song, uh, but really stepping back and looking at the reality of Christmas. We know that Christmas is more than a baby in a, in a manger, although it is a significant point in history. Christ had to come as a babe. He had to be raised as a human. He had to walk a life perfect before His Father for us but it was all for a purpose. And we're going to look at that reality this morning. We thank God our Father for sending His only begotten Son in the form of a babe in a manger because there's a future that's coming for that babe. Right? We understand that there's a reason why the night of our Lord's birth, there is a host of angels singing glory, glory to God on high. Peace be to all men. There's a reason why those shepherds left the field and went and sought after this babe. There's a reason why years later, you read your history, they say it's some two years later that the magi, the, the wise men, come and seek this king who has come. There's a reason why there's evil that rises up in King Herod and he decrees, if I can't find this king, then we'll just slaughter all the all the male sons right born in Bethlehem two years and younger will take them out but there's also a reason why there's a dream that comes to Joseph saying flee to Egypt there's a reason behind all of this and like we talked about Tuesday night, last Tuesday night in our Bible study, this reality is happening all around us and we can't see it. But make no mistake, it's happening. There's been a battle that's been raging since before the beginning of time. And as we will read this morning, as the Spirit gives utterance through Simeon, He praises God for that fact. He's holding his Savior. Amen. Look with me in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. We're going to do some, something a little different this morning. Uh, I'm actually going to read the Nativity scene through, uh, through Revelation chapter 12. Um, we're going to see this reality that's happening. But first, let's look at the song of Simeon this morning. Verse 25 of chapter 2 reads like this, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, now here's his song, Now Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to the opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Lord, as we come to uh, the reading and preaching of Your Word, Lord, I thank You for the service that we've had up until this point, Lord. I ask that You move upon us even more than You have, Lord, that You comfort us, O oh God, with Your grace, that You give us ears to hear from You this morning as we look at the reality of Christmas, O oh God. Let us fully understand this morning what You have done for us through Your Son. Lord, I ask this in Your name. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. Simeon, if you haven't noticed the last couple of weeks as we've been going through these songs of praise, there's been a theme that has went forth through all of these adorations, through all of these revelations, and that is the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed that? That every one of the pieces of the vessels that God is using to bring about the incarnation of His Son, our Lord and Savior has had the Holy Spirit given to them as a help. Because this is a very important thing that is happening here. All of history up until this point, up until this Christmas, this first Christmas, has been preparation for this day. From that day to this day, to the future last day that the Bible speaks about is preparation for a second coming. There was preparation for a first coming, and we talk about that in the first advent in Christmas. And we as Christians today wait with great anticipation, just as they did in old, for His second coming. That's what Simeon said. He said that the Bible gives him... Uh, a description, and much like Joseph, he's found to be righteous. He's a righteous man. He's a devout man. That means he's devoted to God and godly things. He's devoted to the Scriptures. He's devoted to waiting for the consolation of Israel. Do you understand what that means? That means he's waiting for the Messiah. See, there was 400 some odd years uh, in between the Old and New Testament. And, and when the Gospels break forth, when the Incarnation happens, it's been a long while. It's been centuries since someone has walked in the office of prophets, since God has had a physical mouthpiece on this earth. But there were those who were devoted for waiting for the promise because the last thing that God tells His people in the Old Testament is those two things. I'm not going to speak for a while and it's going to be a judgment towards you, but there is one coming. Wait for Him. There is one that is coming that is going to make all things right. That is going to set all things the way it should be. That is going to reconcile. That is going to bring you back to Me. 
Thus saith the Lord. That was pretty important in the Old Testament. It's important in the New Testament. And it's important to us today because God is a God who keeps His Word. That should frighten some of us this morning. Especially like Brother Matt said, if you are here this morning, I don't know your heart. You and the Lord do. If you are not right with God, God keeps His Word. And you should read what the Bible says about you and your eternal soul. You need to turn to Him this morning. You need to come to Him. He came for that purpose. To save those who were lost. If you are here this morning, as Brother Matt said, like I said, he was reading my mail. I should have just let him preach this morning. If you are here and you're downtrodden or you're, you're heavy burdened and you said, I've had an experience with God. Christ is my Savior, but I, I need Him today. God keeps His Word. He said, I didn't come for the healthy. I didn't come for those who had it all together. He said, I come for those who were weak. I come for those who were sick. I come for those who were lowly. I'm your God. You're my people. I keep my word. Not Scott, but God. I keep my word. Rest in that. Simeon seen something that day. You notice he's being led by the Spirit. He, he, he didn't just see by happenstance this isn't a coincidence. We don't believe in coincidences as Christians. We believe in providence. There's no such thing as coincidence. It's providence. There's no such thing as luck. It's God's grace. There's no such thing as happenstance. It's all orchestrated by God. And this man who's been waiting on the consolation of Israel beforehand has been prepared. And God has spoken to him through the Spirit that's upon him as the Word of God says and says, you are not going to die, Simeon. You will see the Lord's Christ. You will see this Messiah. And he's anticipating this. He's waiting on this. And in the Spirit, he's led into the temple and he sees Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Now, you've got to imagine this. Think for a second. Use, use your human logic. Here's a brand new mama showing off her baby. Everything has been prepared. If we would have read the Scriptures before, I, I didn't for time. In the eighth day, they bring, they bring Jesus to the temple. He's circumcised. He's, he's christened. And then they go home because there's a period of time, I think it's 21 some odd days, that Mary has to sanctify herself. So now they're coming and they're giving her uh, sanctification offering uh, to, to cleanse her, to make her clean again. This wasn't anything special. This is what happened after a mother gave birth. But now it's time where you go into the temple and you present your son, right? You present. And on the eighth day, Joseph presented Jesus and he named him. That's what you did. You, you named him in front of the Sanhedrin and they went, okay, and they wrote it down, right? And it was, uh, it was Jesus, son of Joseph. Nazareth, right? And they write, they write all that down. And, and, but now it's time to, to show him off. And this brand new mama is showing off her son. And this old man comes up from the temple and just takes, her, takes him out of her hands. Now, what? No. What, what do we do with our babies? First off, we don't take them out in public uh, like when they're brand new. 
right? We keep them home. We keep them safe. You call me. I'll tell you if you can come, right? I'll tell you when you can come. And, and, and when I tell you you got to go, you got to go, right? This is mine, and we're taking care of it, right? But, but this man takes Jesus out of the arms of Mary, and, and he begins to praise the Lord. And, and you go, well, well, yeah, they knew all of this. That's not what the Scriptures say. The Scripture says, Father and the mother was astonished. You know what that means? They were taken aback. They were aghast. Like, I can't believe you just took my kid out of my arms. Right? But, but then they begin to listen. Because remember, there's a theme that's running through this. All three of these people have the Spirit. Like, we've, we've read up to this point, all three of these people have the Spirit of God. So although their humanistic side is like, give me my baby back, the Spirit within them is saying, no, wait, hold on. Listen, this is important. And he begins to speak and he says, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. So first he thanks God. Thank you, Lord. You've kept your promise. Right? That's the first thing out of his mouth. Thank you, God. I can go home. Right? If this is what I've been waiting on, right? He said, you would not die. You would not pass on. You would not be in my presence, right? Let's, let's think through this fully. You would be stuck here on earth suffering and anticipating until you see the Messiah. So he sees this Messiah. He's holding Jesus in his arms and he goes, thank you, God. Take me. Right? Thank you, Lord. Like, thank you. I've seen him. He's here. Thank you. You're releasing your bondservant. In other words, you've kept your promise. Now, keep your other promises. Bring me into your presence, right? That should be an anticipation even for us as we go through grief and as we go through death. And as hard as it is on this side of life, we should be as Christians anticipating, Lord, take me into your presence. And we understand what that means for most of us. If the Lord tarries, it means that we will pass from this life to the next. But the Bible says that the sting of death has been taken. Do you understand what that means? That means that we don't truly die. We don't die. And when it talks about the Christian, Paul, over and over again, the writers of, of uh, the New Testament, Christ Himself, when He's talking about Lazarus, how did He describe Lazarus? The Word comes to Lazarus, uh, comes to Christ, your, your friend whom you love is sick and He tarries. And then all of a sudden, he gets a revelation through the Spirit. He looks at his disciples and says, we can go now. Lazarus is sleeping. And the disciples go, you go, well, that's a translation issue. No, because the disciples go, good for him. It's good that he's resting. You know, he's been sick, and we're trying to get to him, and he's resting, right? That means he's getting a little better, right, Christ? And then Jesus has to stop and go, listen, guys, he's dead. But Jesus described Lazarus as resting, as sleeping. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant to this fact that those who go before you are asleep. They're resting, waiting for a resurrection. But I don't want you to be ignorant to this fact that even though they sleep, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. One day being reunited in this brand new body, in this brand new kingdom, in this brand new world. Don't understand all of that. But what I do know is what the Word of God says is that your body rests and you're with the Lord. 
Amen and amen. This is what Simeon is waiting on. He's like, take me. Thank you. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Not that I've seen the Messiah. The Messiah was supposed to be this grand king, this this government official, this warrior king who was going to rid the nation of all of her enemies and establish the throne of David again and, and rule on this earth forever. But he says, none of that. Thank you for your salvation for which you have prepared in the presence of your people. In other words, you have come to us. In the times of old, you said ascend to the mountain. You said come to the temple. There were those who you handpicked and you rest, rested upon, but you, you, have, you have condescended. You have come to us. You're in the midst of your people. And then he just quotes Old Testament. Because why? Same thing we do today. Same thing we do today. The Scriptures is yes and amen. Amen? A light of revelation to the Gentiles and, and the glory of your people Israel. He's bringing all of us in. He's seeing the fulfillment of this baby. Over 2,000 years ago, God Himself, the eternal war, uh, Word, became flesh and dwelt among men. John 1 and 14. This isn't an appearance of God. This isn't a Christophany. This isn't a theophany. This isn't someone coming in the name of God. This isn't another prophet. This is God. This is the prophet. This is the preacher. This is the Son wrapped in flesh. Moses is a great father of our faith, but he failed. Abraham, great father of the faith, he failed. Every single person in our lineage of our faith were horrible people used by God. But then there come this one who's perfect. Who come wrapped in flesh, but not consumed by it. Who come clothed in flesh, but would stand on the Mount Transfiguration and peel back the flesh to show His true glory. He's different than us, but yet He's the same. Only God can do that. I don't have a divine side to me. I'll be glorified one day, praise God, but I am 100% human with a God living in me. But Christ, truly man, truly God. Not 100% man and 100% God. He's not 200% something. He's truly man and truly God. He's fully man and fully God. Something that we're not. It had to take something that we're not to fulfill what we couldn't. So with all that in mind, let's consider this morning uh, four reasons that Christ came on our first Christmas. Why do we celebrate Christmas? And there's more than four, but these are the main ones. First and foremost, as we have said all morning long, as your heart has bore witness to this, if you're saved, Jesus came to take away our sins. That's what Simeon said. Thank you, God, for your salvation who has come to both Jew and Gentile. It would take all of the Gospels and some of the New Testament before we even get that proclamation. It takes a vision of 
of food coming down on the sheet for the Apostle Peter to say, go to the Gentiles. It takes Saul of Tarsus persecuting the church, being knocked down on the road of Damascus and being sent as the Apostle to the Gentiles. But yet here's Simeon, an old man in the temple of the old ways, an Old Testament believer saying, here is salvation. This is what this baby means. It's salvation. Not just to me, not just to Simeon, not just to your chosen people, but to those who don't know you yet. Amen. Matthew's Gospel points us to this truth. It says that God, uh, Jesus came to save His people from their sins. That's literally His name. Yahweh saves. That's Jesus. As Jesus begins His earthly ministry in John's Gospel, John the Baptist announces, Behold, the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sins of the world. That's His announcement. That, that's how Jesus burst on the scene. It, that's how His ministry starts. The forerunner of Christ. The one that comes in the spirit of Elijah. The crazy man in the wilderness looks at this man and says, He's the one who's going to take away the sins. I've baptized you in water, right? We know. But He's the one who's going to baptize you in fire and power. John said, I'm not worthy to take your sandals off. Jesus rebukes him and says, you, you need to dunk me in this water right now. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. We talked about this in our, in our Mark series. But he's telling, he's literally telling John the Baptist, you need to do this so that we fulfill the law. And I'm doing this for you, John. And he goes, oh, okay, my bad. And he, he baptizes him. First time we see the Trinity in Scripture, not the first time in Scripture, but a good picture. Father, The Father speaking, the Son being baptized, the Holy Spirit coming as a dove lighting on to Jesus. And immediately His ministry starts. John the Baptist's ministry starts to decrease. Jesus starts to increase. John is in prison. Jesus picks up the mantle as you will and begins to preach the exact same thing that John the Baptist was preaching. He just changes one little section. John the Baptist says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says, Repent, because the kingdom of God is here. Say, Jesus never said He was God. That was literally the first thing He said. Who, who does the kingdom of God belong to? Well, God. And John the Baptist, they were fine with his message. They were coming out into the wilderness being baptized because John the Baptist was saying, you're horrible people. And they went, yeah, we don't want to admit it, but yeah, you're right. You need to repent. Yeah, you're probably right there. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Literally what they're waiting on. Yeah, the Messiah is coming one day, of course. Absolutely. But then Jesus comes and He says, repent. And they go, oh, I thought we got rid of that, but okay, all right. Because the kingdom of God is here. Now, still see Roman oppressors. I still see taxes going to pagan gods. I still see all this stuff, man. Uh, you're a good teacher, but I think maybe you've missed some stuff. And, and Jesus goes, no, you can't see. You can't hear. This kingdom isn't a kingdom of this world. It's a kingdom of heaven. My kingdom isn't here right now, he tells Pilate. Right? 
If it was, my kingdom would stand up and you wouldn't be able to fight my kingdom. But what he's really telling Pilate is the truth, even though Pilate doesn't understand. And he says, my kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. My kingdom is fighting. And this is exactly what needs to happen. We're going to see that this morning. We're going to end in Revelation. We're going to read. Paul adds a more systematic statement to the mix of, of Jesus coming to take away our sins. We find it in Romans. It says, God shows His love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul was really good at giving us theology. Jesus declares to Zacchaeus, we've all heard that passage before, Zacchaeus crawling in the sycamore tree. We've heard it in Sunday school. We were taught about it. We sing about it in some of our songs. And But he said in Luke 19 and 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's you, Zacchaeus. But come on down from that tree and walk with me. Because I'm coming to your house today. You see, that that's pretty specific. That's very personal. He's a very personal God. But it also applies to the incarnation. You can't come to me. So I will come to you. You can't live the life that I declare. Be holy, for I am holy. So I'm going to send one who can. You can't die for your sins because you're sinful. But I'm going to send the perfect one. Without spot. Without blemish. And He's going to live your life. And He's going to die your death. And then, He's going to be raised in your resurrection so that you can live. That's what God did for us. Do we deserve it? No. So that's point one. Point two. Jesus came to destroy Satan's work. We're going to see that in Revelation. Jesus came to make the Father known. God is spirit. Right? That's what He tells the woman at the well. Now we know through studying the Word that God's invisible. Is that not what the Word says? No one has seen God. But yet we've seen Him through the Son. He is the expressed image, the Bible says, of the Father. In other words, if you've seen Me, He says, you've seen the Father. But Jesus never claimed Himself to be God, right? That's what they'll say. That's what they'll claim. Nowhere in the Word of God did Jesus ever say He was God. Yet, over and over and over again, He said things that the Pharisees and the devout people, the religious people, sought to pick up stones and murder Him for blasphemy. That's not like cancel culture is a thing today. You've said something that offends me, so I'm just going to cancel you. That's not what that is. That was a direct, we don't need a trial. We only need two or three witnesses. You said you were God. We're going to kill you. Like that's, that's what, and it's over and over in the Word of God. He went to his own family, his own people in Nazareth, and they was going to push him off a cliff because he said, this Scripture is fulfilled today. And the Scripture was talking about God. And he says, that's me. So, Jesus said plenty about who he was. He didn't come. He didn't come in a spirit of mischief. He didn't come 
in a spirit of veiled mystery, although he said, I'm going to now teach in parables because those who are rejecting the truth are going to reject the truth. And those who are given ears to hear and eyes to see will understand when I'm talking about this measure of faith, right? This mustard seed of faith. When I tell you this story, you're going to understand it, but your neighbor may not. But one day they will. When I tell you this story about the five versions or the ten faithful or the ten versions, five faithful, five foolish, you're going to understand that I'm talking about me and my coming for my bride, but your neighbor may not. But if you understand and the mystery is revealed to you, tell your neighbor. That's our job. That's why we're still here. So you come to make the Father known. Are you good at that? You need to be. You need to be trying. Because the Word of God says all we have to do is be willing to try. And the Spirit in you is going to bear witness. He's going to give you the words to say. He's going to do the work just as He did in you. The arrival of Jesus in Bethlehem was like God taking a brush and painting a self-portrait, right? Across eternity. God's invisible, but He sought to make Himself known, so here comes the incarnation. Jesus standing here. And to show you the humility and the lowliness that our Christ come, God doesn't paint Him as this most magnificent, beautiful, Saul-type figure. But he's, the Bible actually talks... Now, it's talking about God incarnate. And the Bible says that He was commonly. He was just like us. He had facial flaws. Like He probably had scars. He was a carpenter. And he, he wasn't pristine. He wasn't perfect on the outside. On the inside, He was perfection. He is perfection. See, that's what He tells the Pharisees. On the outside, you look perfect. You look amazing. You look like everybody wants to look when it comes to religious views, but yet on the inside, your sepulchers full of dead men's bones. Where they needed to be righteous, they failed. But they rejected the Messiah that's given to them because He didn't fit the norm. He didn't fit what they wanted. But He's exactly what they needed. He's exactly what we need. And you could say that's the reality even today. Before salvation, Jesus may have been a really good idea, but He wasn't very appealing to you. Uh, yeah, we're getting a little closer to home now, but it's true. Jesus, yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, that guy rocks. He said a lot of cool things. He said a lot of good things. He's got a lot of good benefits. I could use a Savior. Uh, heaven sounds really cool, right? But yet when He starts to talk about in John 6, and, and He says you have to suffer, you want me to be your Savior, well, I, I need to be your Lord. <laughs> you go, uh-uh. No, 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 just give me all the good stuff and let me live my life. But yet, at salvation and today, after salvation, He is the most, or He should be, the most appealing thing to you in the way that He came, in the way that He suffered, in the way that He bore your sins and my sins the way that He showed us the Father. The way that He showed us the way. See, God isn't just a God of wrath. He's, he's a God who has invite us, invited us in 
to call him Father. He, he's not just a God of judgment, but He's a God who has saved you and I from His judgment. He's not just a God of anger, although it's kindled every day for the wicked. He's a God of love. He's a God who has called us in to His family. He's a God who has set us apart, who has adopted us by His grace, who has made us heir to the kingdom. He showed us the Father. And the last point before we look at Revelation, Jesus came to prepare for a second coming, for a second advent. John wrote in 1 John 3 and 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, we're waiting for something. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. We're waiting for something. Much as God's people awaited His first coming, so we also anticipate a second coming. He hasn't left us here to not wait for something, to not have hope in something. The New Testament speaks greatly of this great gospel assurance. That's, that's as vital, if not more vital, than the Christmas uh, story itself. The manger in Bethlehem is that that baby didn't stay in Bethlehem. He, he fled to the wilderness. He was sustained for a while. He came back to Nazareth. Uh, who, what good could come out of Nazareth? Well, the best come out of Nazareth. He, he grew in respect and likeness of men and God. He, he started a ministry. He proclaimed the Gospel. He died a death. He rested for three days. And then He was rose, risen again. You say, what, well, you preaching an Easter message. Absolutely I am. Absolutely I am. The same way we're, we don't keep Him in the manger is the reason we don't keep Him in the cross. Or is also the reason we don't keep Him in the grave because that's not where He is. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. Make an intercessory prayer for me even now as I'm preaching this message. Keeping me humble, keeping me out of the way, speaking to you through the Spirit. That's what my Christ is doing for me right now. The same thing He's doing for you right now who is keeping you attentive, who is opening up your ears, who is keeping the enemy at bay so that He can minister to you through the words of a fallible person. God speaks. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. We're just going to read this and we're going to close. This is the nativity scene. Uh, but like Revelation, it's a scene of everything. But I want us to see the reality of Christmas as we go into this week of festivities, as we go our separate ways, as we gather with friends and family and we open up presents and we love on each other. This is the reality that's happening, that's been happening, that is happening, and will continue to happen as this book of Revelation says, until all of 
Christ's enemies are made His footstool, the last enemy being death. So, in that sense, be thinking about Christmas, be thinking about this uh, spiritual warfare that we've been called into, and we're going to read this short chapter. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head the crown of twelve stars. So what sign do you think that that is? Well, I would say that it's probably the star that appeared. We could say in a sense that that is the woman being clothed in the sun and the moon at her feet, the head of crown sitting on her head of twelve stars. That's Mary representing Jerusalem of Israel, right? Well, let's continue to read. You see what I you see what I'm getting at right here. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour the child. Now that is some spiritual warfare right there. O holy night, O silent night, it wasn't so silent in the cosmos. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was called up to God in His throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come, for the accuser of your brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. you saying Satan is God's Satan? Yeah, that's what it says right there. It says, now the salvation has come. Why? Because Satan's among you. We need it. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time 
from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who kept the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now we'll get way more in depth in this when we ever preach through Revelations, but that is the totality of history, if you didn't realize that. But it's also the nativity scene. But I want us to see just that one part of that holy night that we sing about, that silent night in Bethlehem showed us a glimpse of what really went on. Like Mary wasn't shielded from the pain of birth. It says that she cried out in pain. Christ was born into this conflict that is this creation being set apart and also part of. But it says in that night, awaiting the birth of our Christ wasn't just the angels in heaven, wasn't just the shepherds in the field, wasn't just all the good things that we talk about, but Satan himself seeking to devour our Lord was there too. In this great war that we've been called into. But just as it says that he was cast out the first time, he wasn't strong enough to stop what God's doing. See, we have an enemy, but he's not stronger, he's not stronger than God. We have a very real enemy this morning as, as we stand. And just as he sought to devour that child, how much more does he seek to devour you? If he was bold enough to try and take out our Lord and then come back again and tempt Him in the wilderness. How passionate do you think our enemy is to take you out? He looks at us and He, he doesn't fear us. He fears the God that's in us. And we shouldn't fear Him, but like P Peter tells us, we should be sober-minded. We should be vigilant. We should be on alert. Because we have an enemy. And to see Him coming and to flee from Him, resist Him, He'll flee from us. So as we go into this Christmas season, let us as Christians not forget the battle that's raging. Because it, it never stops. The Word of God says it never stops. From the moment that Satan desired to be God to today, till when God finally puts him out of his misery... He's going to devour. But be encouraged this morning because the God that's in you is a God of peace. He's a God of mercy and He's a God of grace to those who keep His commandments, the Word said. But woe to those. Woe to the earth. Because Satan is here. And he does deceive. And if you don't keep His commandments, if you don't abide in Him, then there's judgment. There's judgment coming. And it's, com it's coming from that babe that was in the manger. It's coming from that man who was baptized in the Jordan. It's coming from that Christ who died for you and raised again on the third day. It's coming from that same one who is seated at the Father right now. He ascended into heaven. The angel comes. Everybody's looking. And he said, well, he said why are you gazing at the sky? 
don't you know that the same Christ is going to again in like manner come? We, we don't get a different Jesus. Someone who preaches to you a different Jesus is not preaching you the right one. It's the same Jesus. Amen? Lord, we thank You today for Your gift. Oh God, Lord, as we go into this following week, Lord, in this following weekend, as we gather around, oh God, with our family and friends and we open up our gifts, Lord, let us not forget the gift that was given. Lord, Your Son. Jesus, the Christ, O God. Lord, we thank You for this. We honor You and we praise You for this fact, O God, that through Him we were saved, O God. And through Him we will be kept, Lord, and help us to persevere, Lord, throughout the midst of this, this warfare that we're in, O God. Lord, we know that You can do this and You will do this because You are a God who keeps Your promises. Lord, we thank You for this and we honor You and we praise You. Amen.